1: If you haven't already rated and reviewed the Singletracks podcast in your podcast app, now's the time to do it. We're randomly selecting listener reviews to read on the show, and if we choose yours, you'll get a free single tracks hat in the mail. Hit pause right now, write a quick review, and then listen to future episodes to find out if you won yourself a hat. Happy Trails. Hey everybody, welcome to the Single Tracks Podcast. My name is Jeff, and today my guest is Renee Hutchins. Renee is a mountain biker, storyteller, and artist living in Colorado. As a member of the Diné Nation, Renee is an advocate for both indigenous people and the lands that they call home. Thanks for joining us, Renee. Thanks, Jeff. So tell us a little bit about your background. Where did you grow up, and how did you get introduced to mountain biking?
0: Yeah so I'll just uh, start off with uh, my introduction ya shi Hutchins belagana chin this is uh, my introduction in in navajo just for those who are listening and it, it shares uh, my relationship with uh, how we relate to one another as diné people um, mm. by clan and uh, tales of my relationships and the, just centering the kinship with um, who we are as people um, to one another in the land. And uh, I grew up, uh, I was actually born in, in Oklahoma, but uh, actually grew up a lot in Northern Arizona and Kayenta, Arizona. Hmm. A lot of my family is near the four corners on the Navajo reservation. And for me, biking was always about you know, I started at such a young age, it was really that kind of what we identify or experience as adults today in terms of just feeling like a kid and mm. that, that freedom and, you know, being out on the land. It's yeah. so uh, peaceful, you know, and so a lot of that is still much of my experience today. But as a kid, this was. Expanded my horizon of that playground in the outdoors. Uh, it was, Oh, we had a huge long dirt driveway with, with acreage, you know? And so it was, it's funny as a kid, you can go for, you know, maybe you're only going from point A to point B is like 500 feet or a thousand feet, but it feels like miles. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, you know, yeah, that was, that was a way to experience and connect with the land as a kid. And at, I would say then I didn't know that it was so much based in our Dene culture and our way of experiencing our identity and all those things that are attached to to who we are as people today in terms mm. of our our song and language and traditional knowledge, you know. But it was really growing into that and maturing into that as a kid all the way up, up until now. So uh, my, my aunt's the one that actually taught me how to, to ride a bike. I would say my brother was my inspiration, but she, we had no training wheels. I just, hmm. it was like that running behind kind of style. And you just let him <laughs> let him go and open your wings and hope you stay upright.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right on. Did you know like adults that rode bikes or was it, was it like mostly just a kid's thing sort of where you grew up? It's
0: a, Definitely a kids thing. I I feel like my cousins and my group, I have, there's four siblings on on my side. I had several cousins. We all kind of were within a year or two of each other. So it was kind of our our crew or pack that we Mm -hmm. would cruise the neighborhoods and create our little sketchy drops and jumps. Um, off curbs or mud puddles and uh, we were always creating uh, fun on, on, on two wheels so it was definitely a, a kid's thing it was kind of like adults are doing their thing and we're gonna go cruise on bikes
1: yeah yeah that's an experience that I think a lot of us can probably identify with and you know some of us though chose to keep doing it you know we started as kids and uh, some of us never really grew out of it so that's cool well one of the things yeah. that you've written about is a concept called environmental justice. And that's a term I haven't heard a lot. On the surface, to me, at first it kind of sounded like, you know, doing the right things for the environment. Um, But from what I've read, uh, that it's really about, it's also about people, or maybe it's exclusively about people and how they interact with the environment. So what does environmental justice mean to you?
0: Yeah, environmental justice, actually came about in terms of just the terminology came about in the 1980s, Mm. early 1980s. And there's a whole discourse on this field and and how it came about. And its it's origin of the term environmental justice came about because of people Mm. in the environment in that interaction. And there's a book that it's called As Long As Grass Grows and it's a, I highly recommend that book. It actually is uh, several chapters, but one specifically that really dives into this further um, on the history of it. But as far as how this affects or impacts indigenous peoples and mm-hmm. kind of where this movement of envi- environmental justice came about, it, it really points at uh, several things. And one of them is it first takes positioning ourselves to really unpack what this means. Mm-hmm. And the way we do that is by actually looking at the history of Native people's relationship with the United States as an environmental history. Hmm. And, you know, to tag on to that, it's where it becomes problematic or the, the justice or injustice issues is the indigenous ways of understanding land and human relations with it are obstructed or not even recognized at all. Um, and then on top of that, you look at the numerous barriers to uh, indigenous people's participation in the governance of environments or just their own land itself. Mm-hmm. And so when you're left out of these conversations uh, and left out of the stewardship part, uh, and it, you can see there's a lot of injustice hmm, there. Yeah. Um, and, and part of that can actually... Uh, you can even look at the land dispossession and you can take a, the example of uh, how national parks came about. Um, there's a whole book on that as well called Dispossessing the Wilderness. And it's about the, the indigenous people's removal um, to create those national parks. So it's you can see how it gets very complicated pretty mm-hmm. quick. But what I will say is that environmental justice and taking this into the realm of the bike industry and outdoor industry is I almost see it like also operating in the, in the same way because there's so much indigenous eraser and in the narratives related to outdoor spaces and the land base in general.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and that's where you get problematic route names and, you know, so on and so on, which I know we'll get into later, but that's, that is also, and injustice. It all is uh, rooted in that uh, history of how indigenous peoples were impacted by colonization in, mm. the, in, the, in the past, and that's still ongoing today.
1: Yeah, yeah. And is this exclusively like an indigenous issue? I mean, when we say environmental justice, are we talking about uh, indigenous people only, or c- can other groups kind of be Experience these racial, or sorry, these environmental injustices.
0: Well, that's a good question. Uh, it definitely applies to all people, all, mm-hmm. all human beings that may be uh, negatively impacted by, for example, policy decisions. And you know how, um, you know, part of this came about impacted uh, black communities. Mm-hmm. And uh, you think of how. Waste or uh, mining or pollution. Uh, you can talk about environmental racism, um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, which will look at that intersection of, of race and environment. And then you can also talk about just low income populations who are greatly impacted and affected, you know, uh, uh, that are higher risk for some of these environmental ha- hazards or whatever it is we're, we're looking at in terms of the environment. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it is that that's why. I think it was important like you asked up front is you know how 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 do we view environmental justice well it's you're going to you can't talk about the environmental part of it without talking about people
1: yeah yeah and i mean i guess there there are plenty of examples of this that are perhaps related i mean you have the the flint michigan water crisis or the you know hurricane katrina even where there is that intersection between race and the environment and you know, all that kind of stuff. And so, yeah, that is something that I guess we, we're all sort of aware of, but we're we're not necessarily aware of like all the factors that go into that and, and what causes it. So Absolutely. as you kind of hinted, a, a lot of mountain bikers probably don't realize it, but most, if not all of the iconic riding spots, mountain biking spots in Colorado and Utah are actually on uh, Ute Tribe ancestral lands, and you support a, a group called the Ute Land Trust. What is their mission and sort of how how is this all related?
0: Yes, this is uh, something that I plan on talking a lot more about uh, this coming year and you know, just about the land trust model and what that is and what that could mean in terms of partnering giving back or engaging into healing those relationships with native peoples Mm -hmm. Uh, but the ute land trust specifically it was established in 2018 um, by the ute indian tribe uh, to assist in the healing of the those deep wounds left by the injustice Mm -hmm. of violent removal of their people from their homelands uh, Mm -hmm. which encompass utah colorado uh, new mexico and arizona so what every land trust will look slightly different because, you know, it's important to note that the tribal nations, you know, they're unique. Each one is unique in terms of their language and culture. And so, you know, we're not this monolith. And so that's important to keep in mind. And so uh, if you look at that and how that works for land trusts, is that each one is going to be different because while colonization and that violent removal or, uh, land dispossession in, impacts all of us,
1: mm-hmm.
0: we can see that they're gonna be in different regions geographically and with their traditional knowledges and what they're doing, it's gonna, it's gonna vary. Uh, but I know for the Ute Land Trust, they're, the way that they're functioning specifically is that they have uh, through donations of land as well as through cultural and conservation easements that they're restoring land stewardship and that return of their ancestral lands. Mm-hmm. Um, and by by having that land uh, and stewardship restored, they they're able to have ongoing traditional conservation efforts and are reclaiming traditional knowledge today.
1: Hmm. Yeah, that's that's really yeah. interesting. Is that something that's happening in other parts of the country as well, or is this sort of a new model? You mentioned uh, that the the Ute Land Trust was just established a couple of years ago, which is crazy that it took that long. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So yeah, there's a, a whole history on the, this organization called Land Trust Alliance, and they actually have a, a web page that kind of describes, um, you know, what what land trusts are. And I, mm-hmm. I think that uh, it it actually came about before you know, you know, when when the uh, Ute land was established. You know, these were conversations that were having that were happening in the '90s. Um, But I I think it's uh, important to know, I I actually appreciate one of these uh, quotes from uh, a book called Braiding Sweetgrass, and there's a quote that says, uh, in the settler mind, land was property, real estate, capital, or natural resources. But to our people, it was everything, identity, the connection to our ancestors, the home of our non-human kinfolk, our pharmacy, our library, the source of all that sustained us. And that, to me, is really a powerful quote because it shows that this idea of ownership and land is is not something that that where this is where land trust came about. Um, that's a very uh, colonial or settler like definition of like this is my land. I'm going to stake it. I'm going to claim mm-hmm. it. It's nobody else's. Um, but it's it's not that way for Indigenous people. It, we we connect with the land as as more than just this, you know, physical ownership, you know, that Mm -hmm. we, you know, oftentimes I'll say uh, to others that that we are the land and that the land is us Mm -hmm. um, and that these are our relatives. And so it's – that's why these land trusts are are huge. And, um, you know, they're not – they don't just come about – just by land donations, I know that there's some in Northern California that, you know, are supported by voluntary uh, kind of like a land tax. Mm-hmm. Um, that basically people in this region uh, realize that they are capitalizing on stolen land. Um, mm-hmm. And so as part of this, you know, there's these uh, really city and urban areas like in San Jose and San Francisco, Where people will, you know, who live there will see just buildings and concrete, you know, Mm -hmm. and they're, it's hard for them to visualize that this was native land to begin with. And there's native peoples that are living in, in Northern California today. And, but they don't, there's no way that they're going to be like, okay, I want to take away San Francisco. (laughs) And, you know, that's going to, right. There's going to, that's going to stay around, but, um. The, the native people there are just saying like hey like we are we're still here and you know mm-hmm. we very much like need these um, traditional medicine and plants and so there's been some cool like community gardens and uh, shared uh, spaces where uh, a conservation you know a non-indigenous conservation land based will go into an agreement with the tribe and say hey let's let's both use this land you know for our mission, for mm-hmm. and for what you need as well, and so there's like I said, there's many different uh, ways this looks, and uh, I know that as as cyclists, like last year, we were. I don't think there's one place in the U.S. that didn't feel the impact of wildfires.
1: Mm. Yeah. You know,
0: it was very smoky, and it affected our ability just to be outdoors. I mean, of course, mm-hmm. COVID was also happening right. simultaneously, but um, out of out of this. Uh, horrific situation there was a tribe in northern california that was part of their function of their land trust was actually uh, practicing uh, traditional uh, you know fire management mm-hmm. and you know trying to w- work with the state of california to do this so here is a here's another example of how the land trust you know it it's, it really is a collaborative effort and, and benefits everyone
1: yeah yeah i mean it's really interesting to hear your description of sort of the Native American, the indigenous view of of the land, you know, like that it's not just a piece of property, that there are so many things that all of us as humans get from that. And it seems like there are so many parallels to sort of the environmental movement too, right? I mean, you've got just people realizing the same things, which, you know, people have understood for a very long time, but, uh, for whatever reason, like we got away from that, or, you know, there are groups of people who had different ideas, but regardless of who owns a piece of property, like we're all humans, we're all breathing the same air. You know, we rely on the the land and the environment and all those resources. We rely on sharing them and making sure that, you know, that we're thinking about others and, and all that kind of stuff. So it's really interesting to, to understand how that's all connected and it, it goes kind of full circle.
0: Yeah, it does. It does. It's, and this is why I like, why I advocate is, is that we aren't, you know, a lot of times part of major policy decisions that a lot of, you know, you can look at the past elections that, that came about and where, where a lot of, um, you know, messaging came out was, you know, around policies that necessarily don't always include in in native people, you know, about, and and I'm specifically calling out public lands, uh, policy, Mm -hmm. you know, efforts, you know, or acts that are constantly put on the table that, um, you know, there's just such a lack of understanding of that history of where public lands came about and that it, it is stolen, you know, native land. Mm -hmm. And that's, Mm -hmm. um, what we're just trying to to say hey we're we're still here we've been stewarding for thousands of years and uh, you know this is this is where I feel like you know the more that we can engage our community um, especially you know the out I I wouldn't say I pick on the outdoor uh, mm-hmm. industry a lot or the other bike community but but it's just a space that i I exist and I'm very passionate about and it intersects with my my own culture and so i mm-hmm. i want to see how we can like you said at, at the end of the day like we all benefit as people um and we also our, our mother earth is on our planet earth is also benefiting simultaneously
1: mm-hmm. yeah yeah and again as mountain bikers we hopefully uh, tend to be aligned with those goals um in a lot of cases you know the bare ears uh development and you know oil and gas extraction that was being proposed there or, or was ultimately I guess allowed for a little while I don't know I haven't <laughs> haven't kept up with it in a while but it was one where mountain right. bikers were saying no like we want to protect this like we enjoy it um using it for recreation uh which you know I I want to talk about that as well like is that a yeah. a, a proper use but um but also I wanted to mention there you know you were talking about uh, being in San Francisco, for example, and sort of looking around and and having a really hard time like connecting and imagining this as like you know native land and and that sort of thing. And I saw a tool actually, like an online tool recently, where you can it's like a Google Maps type thing where you can uh, look at the country and it, it shows like which tribes basically inhabited different parts of the country and you know, I was zooming in, like trying to see, you know, where I live, I live in the Atlanta area. And it was so weird, because like this map, mm-hmm. purposely, they didn't put, you know, Atlanta on there, there weren't like the highways, oh, right? Like, I usually orient myself by like, yeah. okay, here's, here's I-85, like, that's where Atlanta is. Um, but you're looking yeah. at this land, and it's just like, this is, this is just trees, and, you know, grass, and like, it's really hard to Mm -hmm. orient yourself and to get back into that space. But once you do, yeah, it's, it's pretty, um, I don't know. It's different. Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I I appreciate you sharing that experience because it's, again, like you said, you're immediately looking for those, those markers or those cities cities or boundaries or lines on a map. And it's Mm -hmm. like, how do you, how do you reimagine? And as we interact with the, the, these natural, spaces like how do we how do we interact with and relate to the land that sees them as indigenous territories mm-hmm. um and a lot of people are like why there's you know there i see a lot of overlap or concentric circles that are kind of you know <laughs> how, what how does that you know play into it and <clears throat> you know i remind people that the that it's that's why it's important to kind of see people place in borders or um mm and these settler bestowed land designations, um, how has that changed over hundreds of years, you know? Mm. And so you'll, you'll realize that like, so when you go to New York or New York city, when you see concrete everywhere, it's like, yeah, there's, there's, this land was sacred and a lot of sacred sites are just covered up by concrete, you know, Mm. today. And there's a a really neat uh, video online where you can actually see the, uh, colonization and um, onset of how it impacted the east coast and it just spread westward and Hmm. you'll see you know unfortunately the a lot of native peoples on the east coast that just um you'll see it shrink and shrink and shrink where some people don't even some tribes or don't even have a a land base you know Hmm. or a reservation and it's important that just because you google a tribal a tribal nation that if you don't see a reservation there or a, a land base, it doesn't mean they're gone. Mm-hmm. You no, know, um, it it really should point at the fact that you'll you'll see that's um, aligned very well with policies and Native peoples' removal um, of from their lands mm-hmm. through colonization and kind yeah. of brought us to where we are today.
1: Yeah. Well, last year, you successfully advocated for changing the name of a bikepacking route that was then called the Wild West Route. Uh, And the name has now been changed to the Western Wildlands. And part of your advocacy was letting people know about sort of the colonial underpinnings of that original name. So were you surprised that it took a couple of years. I mean, this, this route was called the wild west route for at least two years, as far as I can tell, um, before anybody realized that the name might be offensive to indigenous people. Is that, does that stuff surprise you or, or is that something that we're always going to be dealing with?
0: Yeah. I, it doesn't surprise me for one. Cause I, I feel like to if I did an entire content analysis or or name uh, analysis across all trails, like this would be a full time job. Yeah. And many times, right? Like, imagine yeah. how many trails are out there, and no one else. Um, you know, at the time, I guess. You know, I'm not sure the history on it, but like, certain things will come to my attention just out of my own. You know, happen to run into it or. Right i uh, talked to someone who mentioned the route, you know, mm-hmm. I, I can't say I always was, you know, I'm not like someone who my mountain biking didn't have its origins and quote unquote adventure touring or bike packing. And so mm-hmm. this was something kind of new, you know, in terms of the type of uh, trails or uh, routes that I was, you know, coming across. So
1: mm-hmm.
0: I know for me, if I knew that came out two years ago, I would have been on it two years ago. But it just it just was kind of just the timing of of interacting with those who were involved with the naming of that route and mm-hmm. having the opportunity to speak, uh, how I felt about it. And I, I felt like it was a very good conversation that was pretty educational, um, you know, on, on their end. Cause, and i you know, not just in this trail, uh, or route name specifically, but in general, uh, sometimes people are really attached to a name And it isn't Mm -hmm. always well received because there's so much uh, attached to names. I mean, that's why it's important to get people don't like change. And so it was presenting this in a way that it's not that you can remarket something that's problematic. And I think a lot of people want to do that um, Mm -hmm. just to say, well, this is what we actually meant. Our intentions were this. Can we market it? Um, like in today's wild west like what we think of wild west mm. today and i'm like mm-hmm. you can't it, i use the example of the racial slur uh, this derogatory for native people like the word savage and mm. it's there's no repackaging that word it's never yeah. gonna s- sit well you know what i mean mm. and so that's what was kind of like my explanation is it. there's just terms that you can't you know, separate or undo or say, but I really want it to, this is really what I meant. Can we keep it this? And it's like, no, the answer is no. And so that's why I I thought that through. And I thought we've, we got to change this.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And there's plenty of examples like the, the dirty Kanza race and that was a name that people were super attached to. And, um, I mean, to the organizers credit, Mm -hmm. you know, it, it seems like they listened and, and they, you know, again, had a lot of, a lot invested in that name and ultimately though, um, you know, walked away from it. Um, and so Mm -hmm. what is like sort of your emotion when you, when you come across something like that? Like the first time you heard, Oh, there's a bikepacking route called the the wild west route. Is it like anger? Is it sadness? Is it frustration? Like what, what do you personally Mm -hmm. feel?
0: I immediately felt that there's no way I would ever ride this route. Hmm. Um, it, it was, it, it made me almost all those that you listed, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a- angry and of like, here, here we, here we go again, you know, like mm-hmm. yeah. this, this, these, the names of trails impact how you, interact with that space or that Mm -hmm. that place specifically it situates you and positions you to have Mm. a certain lens or experience you know like there's really catchy names around here in Colorado and they're like hey did you ride that that trail like Captain Jack or whatever and it's it's there's something attached to that and so Mm
1: -hmm.
0: it's it's a lot of people think like when I bring these up that it's just about being politically correct and this is not like I remember writing that one pager um, for the press release, and it I kind of started out writing that, and I thought they just need a few sentences, Renee, for the quote, mm-hmm. and it ended up being a, a whole page long. So I realized mm. there was a lot of feeling behind that, and and yeah. and I'll admit that there was tears um, that I actually cried, <laughs> you know, yeah. writing that. It's it's. it's yeah. Is there's trauma and history related to that, and it it feels frustrating to constantly see these injustices that are triggering of historical trauma of mm-hmm. of Native people and what what people want to attach to the quote unquote cow- cowboy and Indian and the Wild West and things that are very romanticized of mm-hmm. romanticizing Native peoples and thinking it's just like a fun and games like you know native mascots or costumes and and it's like no these are these are very harmful for native peoples and so to me it felt a lot like that
1: yeah yeah well and clearly um it's not easy for you right to speak up about this stuff and you know i'm sure you've been insulted um and and it's it's hard too i mean i imagine that you you carry a lot of that stuff around with you as well like just kind of constantly seeing it and feeling like people still don't get it right like you know i was gonna ask are there other brands or events in the industry that are still using these offensive names and i think i know the answer right that that there are Mm -hmm. and you know either you're not aware of it or you're just you're just too tired to (laughs) even deal with all of them right (laughs) like you got to kind of pick your battles and say like no this one is like truly something that that makes me and people like me angry and you know it's got to stop
0: yeah you're yeah you definitely nailed that one it's it's the answer is you know uh it would literally take one whole conversation just to to go by region or by bike company (laughs) or Mm -hmm. if we're talking about trail names you know there's a large i would say and unfortunately, that's actually the norm and majority of mm. the bike industry. Of and what I'm talking about specifically is, is yeah, I, I can't go off the bat and talk like specific bike names or anything, you know, because that would take a lot of detailing out. But I'm I'm talking about two things. One is the cultural appropriation mm-hmm. that is is so common that I just. I am not surprised, and I almost expect it every time I go to uh, a bike brand's website or mm. a clothing line, bike bike gear, you name yeah. it. Um, there's, I, I pick on hand up gloves. Uh, they did not receive my my comment very well, and I'm I'm still have yet to to push on that one that there's, you know, Navajo rug weaving designs on their mountain bike gloves. Um, mm. I already pushed back on their their gloves that said Savage on the when you held your hands oh, up yeah. and spelled out savage and uh, that was kind of my initial uh contact with them but you know you can i think can, can think of several bike women's bike company uh gear and shorts that have patterns on it uh groundskeepers is uh you look at their um uh, bike protection frame kits there is one that's some techno as techno like that's that's mm-hmm. problematic. That's that's cultural appropriation. If 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 I'm if I'm as a viewer going to a website, and I am not sure where that pattern came from, mm-hmm. then to me it, it does speak cultural appropriation. There are some cases that they that they may work with native or indigenous artists mm-hmm. to design those, but as a consumer, if I'm questioning, then. I you know, don't put that question in anybody's mind. Right. And and what I point to is as a model of something that is done right is Nike's Nike's N Seven Line. And I encourage mm. companies when I consult with them, go check out their website. There is no confusion when you go and look at N7 line that is cultural appropriation. The entire page has highlights of all the native artists who dis- who designed some of the patterns mm, yeah. why they designed it uh, their tribal affiliation or background or story of why they created it to begin with mm-hmm. you know so that's where storytelling is super crucial and i can say i've consulted with in the last several months with uh bike uh manufacturer brands that are rolling out bikes or names or wanting you know are in the process of changing mm-hmm. names because I realized that bike manufacturing or just product development is not something that happens in six months. You know, a lot of these are two to three years out um, in terms of name and product launches and all the marketing that goes along that. So I realized that change after I consult with them, it's going to take some time to, to, you know, work at every single step to change that. Mm -hmm. Um, But I really encourage to look at how you story um, and product launch and market because the, the, the uh, indigenous eraser, uh, you know, that was my second topic. That was number two. My first one was Mm -hmm. culture appropriation. The second one is looking at marketing. What kind of messaging are you having? I've had companies who, you know, you you look at that little IG tag on Instagram social that, you know, I don't know if it still exists out there, but it says savage on it, Mm -hmm. you know, and people just think it's, Let's, let's send it. Let's, you know, all those like mountain yeah. bike type terms that are, you know, it, it, savage gets thrown in there a lot. Mm-hmm. And um, it's just, it's just important to, to keep in mind, like, how are you marketing and messaging? And, and if you are selling any product, whether it's a bike or an experience or route, you're always going to be talking about people, right? Mm-hmm marketing is going to involve people even if you're buying a bike it's going to involve a per you know people and so if it, this is what I talk to brands about a lot and companies is that if you're talking about marketing communication and people you know that these companies spend have a large budget to avoid litigation mm-hmm. to go into trademarking and all this like we should have the utmost, highest level of uh, moral or ethical best practices and standards hmm, yeah. when it comes to marketing not just what's what's cool what's trendy what's catchy you know how is this impacting na- native people so that's kind of my <laughs> overall like broad brush stroke of how to answer that questions yeah. uh, for the bike industry yeah let's take a hard look at what our community space looks like so there is that side of you know, increasing participation in these, uh, of, you know, BIPOC in these spaces. But that's, that isn't just the, the full answer. We're not just props to throw right. us in your gear and say we're doing diversity or inclusive work. It's like, let's look at this space. And when you see that that space and how it is, and it's not inviting or doesn't feel safe, then that's where the dismantling has to come about. It's mm-hmm. hard to challenge your your friend next to you or your family or your, your crew or whoever you're riding with to say like, Hey, like we that's, Hey, don't say that. Or like, you know, whatever it is, like you mm-hmm. said, in the beginning, like change is change is tough. And so there's multiple levels that this has to happen out to, uh,
1: <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, to, to be. Fair to to people who are in leadership positions too. I mean, a lot of them. I don't think they would say like they purposely are excluding folks, but you know, like your example of the the name of the Wild West route. I mean, how many you know white men heard that name and were like, okay, that's a cool name, Um, but then you hear it and it's like, wow, you know, I feel all these this anger and this frustration and, you know, because of my lived experience, which isn't the same as yours. Um, And, you know, there are things we can do, like we can have conversations and you can, you know, try to like make people understand. But like you said, at the end of the day, like we need to have people in those positions that, you know, can speak to that, you know, you need to be a part of that brand um, and not just, not just a consultant. I mean, I, what you're able to do in that role seems like, um, it's a huge step forward, but you know, until everybody is is truly kind of like working together and really collaborating, um, yeah, it does seem like that's a huge challenge.
0: Yeah, I, thanks. Thanks for mentioning that because I, when I said consulting, I almost wanted to say, and that's not what we just want to see. It's just right. like these one off, right? Like we we should be part of the the fabric of. bike industry, you know, we need to be integrated, like, Mm -hmm. you know, in terms of position and leadership and involvement. So,
1: yeah. Yeah. And that's a question I hear a lot too, is, you know, when the, the industry does talk about diversity and wanting to see more women and more BIPOC people participating, you know one of the sort of uneducated comments is often like well you know well they people should just do it right like it's up to them like if if women don't want a bike then you know that's that's up to them but um like you said Mm -hmm. there are things that people experience that that just it doesn't appeal to them (laughs) at the moment right because of various things that again like you know as a white male i'm like oh this all of this appeals to me but um Again, that's just my perspective. And I know that others have different perspectives and experiences. Mm -hmm. Well, one of the things that you do is you advocate for land acknowledgement at mountain bike races and events and also for trails as well, as we kind of discussed. So what is the purpose of a land acknowledgement? What does that look like? And and what's kind of the thinking behind it?
0: Yeah, the land acknowledgements <clears throat> are for one, they're they you can I can talk about them generally, um, but I'll just quickly insert here that like I mentioned earlier is that every every tribal nation is gonna be unique and mm-hmm. in, in terms of what what that plays out and what that actually will be meaningful to them. Okay. Um, and because For example, if someone asked me, Renee, could you do a land acknowledgement in the state of Maine? You know, Mm -hmm. I would not take it upon myself. I would say, hey, it actually would be more appropriate if a tribe from the New England or in that geographic Mm -hmm. region, um, whose land you're actually on or holding an event actually participates and Mm -hmm. provides input on what that means. Maybe it's a song, maybe it's a dance, maybe it's just a prayer or uh, whatever it is, um, it may involve their native language. It may not, um, and so that part's going to going to vary a lot. But the the land acknowledgement is is to center Indigenous people as to to combat and address that eraser that I discussed earlier sure. uh, that people you know, oftentimes thinks that, that we are not even here. Um, I've had people who said, you're the first native person I've talked to or, or wow. Hi, you know, I thought y'all were extinct. Like that's, oh, that's wow. pretty offensive, but yeah, you know what I mean? Like that, that's the kind of questions people say, you know, how, how did you, how are you still here? Like in mm. shock, you know, mm-hmm. and I just have to kind of swallow, <laughs> uh, take a few deep breaths and, yeah. um, and answer that kind of question, but it it, it really will always say that, that we are still here, you know, and that's why it's important, like how you talk about native people, you know, we're not called the ancients, we're not um, talked about in past tense, you know, mm-hmm. only, because we're here today, like, and we still have yeah. all the, you know, traditional, um, you know, you know, our knowledge and practices that we're constantly, you know, restoring that, you know, have have been, you know, almost you know the target in, for the U.S. government was to to get rid of us physically, mm. um, and,
1: yeah. and and they had many ways yeah. to do
0: that. Um, you have the policy era era of the termination era, um, and then you have cultural assimilation, and so it really stands today that when when you talk about Native people currently, it it's powerful and it means a lot because. You know, because of that, you know, um, history of indigenous people and our eraser, um, like I said, just not only physically, but even in today in terms of narrative and representation,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, so, you know, to to point back to that laying acknowledgement, it's it's to disrupt that notion notion, and to say, and we have been here as the original stewards for millennia, mm-hmm. and This is the specific, you know, tribe, whoever, wherever you're at, whatever region you are, whatever land you're on, that this, these are the people who have, who have stewarded it here and still have that relationship today, Mm -hmm. you know, so acknowledging those people today and, uh, and then also it's acknowledging their history that they experienced in that space. You know, Mm -hmm. like I said, every type of colonization or, it's it's going to be different, you know. Different tribes have different treaty names, for example, mm-hmm. and and treaties and statutes are are not honored, uh, his, you know, historically by the U.S. our own U.S. government. Um, and it's it's interesting how somebody can talk about uh, their human rights or their rights as a, a U.S. citizen,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: Indigenous people also have Indigenous rights and. Uh, we have hunting and fishing rights and there's, there's so, so much is attached to indigenous identity. Mm-hmm. It's not that we just come in and say, Oh, this is our, this is our land and we have rights to this this water rights to this area. It's like, no, these are, these are foundationally rooted in the, in con- the constitution mm-hmm. and uh, legislation and policies um, which are, haven't always been, you know, honored or acknowledged. And so sometimes when you are in certain areas and you do a land acknowledgement, it's important to actually do your own, uh, research on, and mm-hmm. what, what took place on this land. It's going to vary by, by location to location. And so that's, that's land acknowledgement in and itself. It's, it's about the people and the place and the history and bringing those stories, um, back. Mm-hmm. And then that lays the foundation of going beyond land acknowledgement.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, it sounds like that's super important and and can be a really powerful um, thing to do. But yeah, I imagine there are like actual things, actions that people can take, race organizers, trail builders, um, even us as individual riders. So like what, how, how can we get beyond just, you know, kind of acknowledging like, yes, you know, this, this happened or this is, you know, this particular tribe's ancestral land, like what, what actions can people take that are just as impactful or, or even more so?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think this is, like I said earlier, that this is something that I plan to spend much of my time this, this coming year and, and beyond, uh, mm-hmm. because it's, it's almost like the a lot of writing that I've done. I've, told my friends it it feels progressive in the way that it, it layers and adds and uh, expands that conversations. It furthers Mm -hmm. that conversation. You know, I wrote um, last year about land acknowledgement on, on, on SRAM. And, and now we're, you know, I had that recent article about um, our reciprocity with mother earth and, Mm -hmm. and then there was the, the land trusts. And so for me, this, this was extremely, uh, meaningful because it was an action or a model that I I think it's so important because I get this question a lot from from industry that how do we go beyond land acknowledgement and it was Mm -hmm. great to spell out and just show one example of how you can uh, go beyond land acknowledgement and it's 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 kind of like when we use this example of if if you found something in your house and it wasn't it didn't belong to you and then you, you gave it back it's there, If if I just sat in my place and said, well, you know, this place is stolen, but I'm going to chill here anyways, you know, mm-hmm. like, that's great. Like, move along, you know, mm-hmm. that the person would be like, hey, like, can I have that back or can I <laughs> be compensated? You know, what I mean, there's mm-hmm. there's still that like, you know, and I know that's kind of a little bit oversimplifying, but it does get out at, at showing that there's got to be. Uh, some healing or reparations uh, that that follows, you know, and mm-hmm. that's when, depending on where you're at, like I remind people, like again, like reach out to those those tribal nations in mm-hmm. in whatever area that you're having, you know, writing or land acknowledgments. I what one thing that I thought was really cool after I released the articles, I've noticed people tagging. Uh, the land acknowledge but also putting a link or uh tagging a land trust to mm. donate you know mm. to yeah. um right with their land acknowledgement and i thought that was cool to say like hey here's a land acknowledgement like but this is a land trust uh or or voluntary land tax or whatever and they give whatever doesn't mm-hmm. you know that amount's going to vary but imagine if you know we, we go to trailheads all the time that are on state land or Uh, you know you have to pay a five dollar fee at the trailhead for example (laughs) and yeah we don't think twice we're just like yeah i mean we want to ride here so let's you know let's go in i pay two dollars you know and it's ten dollars total or whatever it is and Mm -hmm. it's like if that that added up you know you think of how much traffic goes through some of these trails and spaces that we have or those are just trails but like imagine crankworks i mean look Mm -hmm. look at where they're they're located or these world cup race series or any kind of race you know series they're on these they're holding events on these lands and so 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 give like we need actual giving you know like mm-hmm. or you know what i mean like in terms of <laughs> as, as a start if we can't right if we can't do that then we're we're just you know i mean we're always going to be at that 0.1 level of just a mm-hmm. land acknowledgement
1: yeah yeah so one question I have too, uh, getting back to kind of individual bikers is how we can exist sort of in harmony with the land and are there like behaviors or things that um, as bikers we should be aware of or, and I guess another question I have is is are there lands where recreation isn't appropriate um, because as you mentioned you know for indigenous people the land is about a lot of different things, right? It's spiritual place. It can be, you know, a source Mm -hmm. of medicine and healing and, you know, all these different things. And so do those things like coexist or um, are there certain lands where, where certain things are appropriate and and other lands where they're not?
0: Yeah, that's, that's an excellent question. I feel like this will a good place to start is seeing that, the notion of consent or permission. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And again, if you see yourself as a, as a guest on these lands, you know, again, if you, if I came over to your house and I just, I didn't tell you, I just kind of like went in there, rearranged furniture and like swapped Mm -hmm. one of your rooms around and just Mm -hmm. like, yo, that's, that's not cool. Like that was my workplace, you know, or that was whatever it was. It, you know, was, you know, you had your own relationship with that space. It's, it's similar. Where like, it seems so rudimentary or very basic. Mm-hmm. Um, like consent. It's, it's just saying, hey, what, can we, uh, you know, I see this in the climbing world. Like, can we go over here during this time of year and and climb these lines? You know. Mm-hmm. whatever i know it, there's 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 those conversations happening but when you just go there and you just say like that's a cool rock face i want to climb it anyways or i'm you know this place has always been accessible and this is my backyard mm-hmm. um, let's let's rethink that because your backyard is actually it's it's also native people's land and we've been left out of there. So you might not have been aware or seen that, that we are still trying to, you know, access certain areas for, mm-hmm. like you said, medicinal purposes or, um, uh, harvesting traditional medicine. And what is heartbreaking to me is a lot of our, some, some of our traditional, practices or ways of connecting and carrying on our life ways
1: mm-hmm.
0: it means accessing these these areas at certain times of the year you know like mm. sage and and for example is like spring is upon us and there's certain times for us as native people that we're taught when to harvest or you know mm. or not harvest you know yeah. during these times but you know you have uh, spaces that are recreational uh you know and they're designated as a certain space for this purpose and we don't as native people can't even access those areas or our uh, ceremonies are were criminalized for Mm. just being who we are you know i mean this is this is who we need these practices to to live and survive and so when you see people getting you know native people being arrested on you know ant- land that is sacred to us or has you know that's integral to who we are as people today that that really is infuriating you know yeah. that like oh but we can recreate or we can designate it as a state park but you can't come over here and and pray or or carry a ri- you know some a ritual out for example and so hmm. that's again like that's that's bothersome so um it's it's to keep in mind that as we are on the land and maybe you've historically like this has always been experienced this this way to to you in terms of biking doesn't mean that because you haven't seen native people involved in that space doesn't mean we don't care or we're not around Mm -hmm. it's just there's there's reasons why we've been left out of those those conversations so yeah. it, it come to the t- come to the table and, and join um <laughs> native peoples to figure out what what issues or what struggles they're um they're ongoing in your land area and like i said how many times did we see when that public you know hashtag protect public lands that everybody on facebook put their little <laughs> keep spaces wild or whatever mm-hmm. like it took two seconds and everybody was like, Yeah, public lands. But when native people come to come to the table and we're just trying to protect these lands for our cultural practices, like there's almost zero public land lovers <laughs> there are there supporting native people. So like where can we where can we come together on this?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well it seems like as mountain bikers, we should be pretty familiar with this whole idea of consent and respect with regards to, you know, where we build trails and how we access them. And I mean, there are places I'm sure, you know, in in Colorado that the trails close certain times of the year for, you know, elk uh, calving or, you know, bear issues or whatever. Right. So we do this already for the environment, for animals, for, you know, all kinds of reasons. Yeah. Um, And yeah. And hopefully, you know, I tend to think that most mountain bikers are pretty respectful. And, um, you know, we talked to uh, one guy who had done a study of mountain bikers um, to see sort of how awareness of certain environmental issues in an area affected their behavior. And, you know, his finding was encouraging that people, once they knew right? That, Hey, there's an endangered species here, you know, so like stay on the trail or like don't build illegal trails, um, was super effective. And, and so, um, yeah, hopefully that bodes well for us to, to build that awareness and, um, understand that idea of respect and consent. And then, um, yeah, the, that we roll with it as mountain bikers.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I know. I like that. And I speak to that often as it were, we're, it's not that we're trying to introduce something brand new. It's like mm-hmm. we, we're already doing this with with plants and animals and uh, wildlife, but like let's add people. You know, And yeah. that's why I said like when you see when you see the land, land or landscape, like always think of people, indigenous mm-hmm. peoples. You know, we are absolutely inseparable from that from that space. So let's let's add that layer to the conversation and how we interact and um, respect that space
1: for yeah. all. I wanna switch gears for a minute and ask you, what does it mean to you uh, to see Deborah Howland appointed as Secretary of the Interior?
0: Yeah, this is a a good timing because (laughs) um, this is a recent um, and and also a historical appointment for indigenous people. I I can say that even when she was up for, um, as one of the nominations, like that alone and just having it within grasp of her actual appointment was emotional uh, in the sense of it, it was very um, powerful for native people.
1: Yeah. Just to see her nominated, did you think it would, did you think it would happen? Were you kind of just like, well, I'm really happy she did. She probably won't get it. Um, Or, or yeah. Were you, were you real hopeful, I guess?
0: Yeah. This is like, you know, I guess people's personal, like half cup, half empty or half full, but in, <laughs> right. in this case, I'm just going for the gold. I, I, <laughs> I was, I was pulling all for it. And um, um, I just, I felt like it was already had done a lot of uh, good in terms of stirring up some very positive conversations, e- even in her nominations, because mm-hmm. it was allowing us as indigenous people to, to express You know, just what you you asked earlier, what does this mean to us? Um, And it, it, again, it's that joy and hope and and healing um, Mm -hmm. because her appointment is is pivotal for for tribal nations and and this country. You know, not just indigenous people, but this entire country and and planet. Um, Because if if just as a quick 101 on the Department of Interior, they they actually oversee the protection of uh, public lands, in parentheses, right. stolen native lands, um, mm-hmm. and and the DOI guides the country's administration to fulfill treaty and statutory obligations to to the first peoples. So, if you think of that alone, you know the the DOI has, just like our history of this country, they've they've had decisions that have been detrimental to tribal sovereignty, um, such as land dispossession. So, there's a lot of um, hurt mm-hmm. and harm and um, distrust with the DOI uh, that uh, that I feel like they that her appointment um, as secretary is is actually a necessary step to healing tribal relations with the United States. Um, and, and as indigenous people, protecting our mother earth is is always going to be connected to people in our environment, the land, waters, mm-hmm. our communities and all, really all life forms on this planet. So for me personally, I look forward to supporting her as she guides this country to find its path and um, confronting some big issues like the climate crisis and uh, finding strategies to restore our balance with Mother Earth and supporting the return of stewardship to Indigenous peoples.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I like that you were, used the word balance too. And, you know, I think... A lot of times these discussions can kind of veer toward the political. Um, and, mm-hmm. you know, in this case, you know, as in every case, I mean, it's a big job, right? Like there are a lot of parts to this job. Mm-hmm. There's resource management, um, you know, then there's the native issues and lands. And and it's it's a huge thing. Recreation, which obviously is mountain bikers, we think is the most important thing. but There are so many competing mm-hmm. priorities um, and this is an appointed position. Um, so, you know, obviously she's not gonna be there forever. There's been lots of secretaries of the interior before, um, but this is, I guess, the first opportunity where, um, again, you're getting this different perspective. Somebody is in that that job that can look at these issues and, and kind of prioritize them in a new way or at least bring like a new understanding to it. Um, and, you know, regardless of our political, leanings um hopefully we can we can just appreciate the fact that that there are a lot of different perspectives and to do such a big job um it takes a lot of different different perspectives
0: yeah yeah it, it sure does and i i feel like indigenous representation you know is you know this is one example it's her appointment but this is exactly what i uh, advocate in our bike industry and it, it it does matter, you know, uh, because mm-hmm. I, like I said, you, you mentioned that there is a lot of pushback or um, like I said, I've gotten death threats. It's, it's, it's oh un, it's not favorable or accepted. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. this is, this is a, a labor um, that, that I do. And every time I write, I, I almost just expect that there's going to be that, that loud and obnoxious and hate speech type of, um segment um Mm -hmm. but i'm the more and more i do it the i i'm constantly reminded and grounded that of who i am of Mm -hmm. why i do this this is uh, about justice and people will say well who who cares just call yourself a cyclist why does it matter that you're an indigenous cyclist Mm
1: -hmm.
0: well it's like for me are are you our youth at one point in time I was in the earlier stages of the youth part but like where are our role models and where are our leaders in, mm-hmm. in today's world globally you know like and I want like our our indigenous youth to have uh, role models and leaders and indigenous athletes to say like yeah I can I can do that or I can speak up and so it, it does matter that our representation is is felt and 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 they were actually seen and heard in these in these spaces and that's that's why that's why I do what I do
1: yeah yeah and and not to a lot of personal benefit either i mean if anything this is this is something that's really tough on you right i mean nobody would choose yeah. to do something where they're getting death threats uh, because of what they're doing, you know? I mean, truly, that just shows how important this is and, and how passionate um, you are to be able to take that on. Again, it's not like you're doing this to get rich or to, you know, do something. Yeah.
0: We're not rolling some, in money, Jeff.
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> Big yeah, land grab. We're no, going to uh, we're gonna take back New York yeah, City. Yeah. I, so, I, I
0: wish it, it would be that, but it's not. <laughs> right. <laughs> but it means a lot to me, so yeah. I'm going to keep doing it.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. Well, you shared a, a really powerful essay that you kind of hinted at um, earlier on the SRAM website about restoring our relationship with Mother Earth. And uh, the concept of a sort of maternal Earth force actually shows up in a number of cultures. Even the ancient Greeks um, kind of ascribed this feminine side to the Earth and into the land. Do you think uh, women have a unique or a specific role to play in education and advocacy for our planet.
0: Absolutely, and this this is uh like I can say from my uh, tribe specifically, uh, we are a, um matriarchal uh, society traditionally and, and hmm. what, what that means is that like my my cl- my clan um, has its origin in my my mother's clan and all the women and so on, and so on. So, mm. um, it's it's how our my uh, tribe is specifically, uh, you know, is organized traditionally. Yeah. And um, it's not, and even even taking that out of the equation, like just you know, every every traditional society for each tribal nation or indigenous people, that's gonna that's gonna um, look differently. But if you just look at our existence, like I'm here, it doesn't matter like what whether you are, knew your mom or did not know your mom this has not has nothing to do with that but like I exist because I had a, I have a mother you know what I mean like right. I was born and birthed and that is very symbolic to this life force that I, mm. I describe in in that article like it's it's life-giving and it's mm-hmm. it, that and I that's why I immediately let off the article of, of saying that like, everything that we have like our if 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 you just take out like close your eyes for a second and think about where you would get food i mean you think of covid when everything cleared off the shelves like mm-hmm. where do you get your food you don't always yeah. have the grocery store to yeah. to go and grab you know whatever food item you need it's like you were you were always um, dependent on that that balance and great respect and care of mother earth because that's why for us as the net people our our a lot of our ceremonies revolve around the heart around harvest because mm. if we had a harvest this meant we would physically exist and continue as uh-huh. as a people we're always uh-huh. em- embedded in this past present future and way of interacting with mother earth that way it, it and so when you when you think of you know women's role in that way it's like we are already kind of innately the the life givers or caretakers of hmm. of continuing life and if we see that in terms of what our mother earth is then she would we would immediately like you know as non-indigenous people you would immediately think like wow like it it matters you know like where our water how our watershed and water and you know, is impacted like water is Mm -hmm. sacred. And it's just because I might be at the top of the stream and I'm enjoying clean water. Like if, if whatever I do is going to impact somewhere, you know what I mean? So there's this deep Mm -hmm. interconnectedness and uh, intersectional piece of how we view mother earth and her life giving it's, it's our, that's why we call our plant, our plant nations or animal nations. Like we have that same regard of, of them as we do like, human life. And so if we started seeing mountains as our relatives or the water as that kind of relationship, we wouldn't just say, let's kill that off or let's, we don't, we don't care about pollution. Like that's where I feel like that really speaks to. And I hope that that came out in that, in that writing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's a really beautiful way to explain it and think about the earth and, and our relationship to it. Finally, I want to ask you: What are some of the advocacy and media projects you're working on for this year?
0: Yeah, a lot of uh, my projects I've outlined. Um, I I have my own like topics that I will be writing on, but I I always say like the timeline of when that actually comes out will be is 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 flexible because mm-hmm. I do like to um, keep in mind. Uh, the state of our environment, what's happening, um, in the political landscape, the, the bike industry and like, have it really, you know, um, you know, we have to admit that there's sometimes strategic communication in terms of when that happens. And, mm-hmm. um, so you have that kind of timeline of, um, we don't know what, where things, um, you know, COVID, um, and vaccines and how it's impacting our ability to be out. Um, and recreate responsibility, and where that means in the summer or fall, like my my work or my projects, um, they they come out of my depths and and mm-hmm. from a very deep and meaningful place. That I often remind people that it comes from a almost like a spiritual journey, and what mm-hmm. I what I write, and that uh, you kind of got at it earlier, Jeff, is it's 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 hard. Um, and some of these topics and um, I have, you know, the ongoing issues of what's going on in the world with, you know, the, the Asian American and Pacific Mm -hmm. Islander, you know, um, violence and Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I mean, you name it, like these, these impact everyone in this, in this space, um, especially like those who, who can already identify with that kind of violence um, that it could be any one of us. And so, um it's i remind uh editors or companies or that i'm working with that it's not just an on or off switch i almost Mm -hmm. when i worked in academia it was it was great to write like a research paper it was objective and you know it it would happen quite easily but these these are it's a quite different style um different type of style in terms of what writing projects i have laid out and so um, I do have some plans to combine some uh, narratives of land and waters because a lot of times we hear the land, but it's um, as indigenous people, this also includes our waters and mm-hmm. um, I'm a huge angler or uh, fly fisher. So oh, cool. um, I would love to combine yeah, some stories of land and water and, and in um, and that sport of combining uh, biking and fly fishing. Cause mm-hmm. I always, if you see me during the summer, I have my fly fishing rod and my mountain bike on the back of my car.
1: So, cool.
0: um, I'd love to put out some some combination of stories um, like that. But um, I'll also be uh, working on a, a couple films this year. This will be my first year directing um, my first film, and this will be focused on Indigenous land stewardship and cool. uh, traditional uh, conservation practices. And so that'll be. Sharing that stories, and I have a new partnership with Specialized. Um, so um, we're gonna we got some projects we want to work at work on uh, rolling out this year to to again give that visual and that film uh, narrative to a lot of what I write about, and combining that narrative in a visual format for biking.
1: Yeah, awesome. Yeah, that's that's a lot of cool sounding stuff, and looking forward to seeing the the film and, and reading your writing. Um, cause I know it's a perspective that we don't often hear, um, you know, especially in the bike industry, but just in general as well. So, um, yeah, I just want to thank you for taking the time to talk to us and, and to, um, share your story and your perspective.
0: Yeah. No, thank you, Jeff. It was great to be here.
1: Well, that's all we've got this week. We'll talk to you again next week.